This is a Federal News Network podcast. If the Biden administration's 2022 budget request holds, many agencies are going to get a lot of new employees. And that means good practices and onboarding new people will be more important than ever. And the government hasn't always been that good at it. My next guest says there aren't really any revolutionary new ideas for welcoming new people, just good intentionality about doing what we know is right. He's a professor in the key executive leadership program at American University, Bob Tobias. And Bob, I know this has been kind of a pet peeve of yours, agencies that don't take the time and attention to something that can really launch a career if they do it right. Well, I think so, Tom. I mean, agencies, I think, have an opportunity to reset their onboarding process to welcome applicants into a job that fulfills their expectations and into a workplace that really develops their talents and skills and provides work-life balance and to many an opportunity for significant telework, rather than a process that includes signing the appropriate papers and being ushered into a cubicle and say, go to work. Yes. In fact, uh, I had personal experience with this many, many, many decades ago, actually, in a new job where that was not the case. And it was kind of toxic in the beginning. And you wonder sometimes after three or four days whether you even want to stay. And so you don't want people to come in and after two days get that sort of gut feeling, yikes, this was a mistake. A little buyer's regret. Right. So what are some of the best practices that people need to just be reminded of, as you put it, intentionality? So we know from our parents that first impressions count. So agencies, I think, have an opportunity to make a meaningful first impression, and hopefully they're going to take it. So I think that onboarding ought to include linking a job that fits the employee's qualifications. I think a new employee ought to understand the agency mission and how their job advances that mission. It's an opportunity to make a new person feel part of a community that's accomplishing the agency mission and, you know, giving people the skill training right out of the box to achieve work goals. I think it would be a great start. And that means when you have someone new coming in, very often I think there's a tendency on the people that are already there to just assume they're going to be productive immediately because we're all so busy get to work so you can fill in the gap that we feel here. But really, it takes serious time to get someone up to the productive stage. It does. It takes time. And giving someone a mentor to help them acclimatize to the workplace, it takes time to provide positive feedback and support and negative feedback when someone falls off the rails. And the whole goal, of course, is to make a connection with a new employee where that employee says, wow, I love being here, and I'm not thinking about leaving as you did after four days. And is this only for the managers to do, or can the line employees that will be colleagues but not reports of the new person, can they be enlisted to help in this process? Yes, if it's a conscious choice. I mean, if I'm a supervisor and I'm taking on responsibility and accountability for welcoming a new employee, It ought to be something that is part of my team to welcome a new employee, but it won't happen unless, as you suggest, Tom, it's intentional. And in a good work environment in the first place, people would naturally want to welcome the new person and make them feel part of the team and show them around. I mean, a lot of people take pride in being the one to show the ropes to someone, even if they're not their supervisor. 
That's exactly right. And so I, as a supervisor, need to identify that person and encourage that behavior. We're speaking with Bob Tobias. He's a professor in the Key Executive Leadership Program at American University. And I'm just wondering, given, you know, your background with federal unions, can the bargaining unit, as a bargaining unit, have some role in making people feel like, yeah, I'm glad to be here? Yes, I think so. And again, that only happens if there is a collaborative labor management relationship. And that can be one of the primary benefits of a collaborative labor management relationship where both the union that represents employees and the managers collaborate to create this welcoming environment to new employees. And what about the issue of training supervisors to have this type of culture as part of their toolkit? I think that's an important part of this entire effort. If a supervisor is only being a technical expert and not really leading a team, then they're not going to have the time nor the interest to do what it is we're just discussing. So these first-line supervisors particularly have to be exposed to leadership development opportunities and training right away when they're first selected, and emphasizing that I have to give up some of my technical expertise and empower others to perform the task that I previously performed. And that's kind of a failing sometimes on the government's part is to just assume that because you've promoted someone that they're ready for management. Well, there's been a lot of research about why leaders fail in the federal government. And always the primary reason is they do not stop being experts and start being leaders. Sure. And then there's, of course, the whole remote question, and the government is still not back in the offices. And if you can decipher the guidance coming from the White House, it's going to be maybe September, October, till people get back. But there's also this expectation that many people will begin work remotely because they don't want to move to Washington, and they're really expert, and they live somewhere far away. So people aren't always going to be in all the time now. How do you accommodate that wrinkle in making people feel welcome and onboarded properly? I think it's part of the overall problem of how do I manage remote teams. And if I'm not managing remote teams well, I'm not going to manage new employees well. So I think it's part and parcel of this new hybrid workplace, sometimes in, sometimes out, and some always out. Bob Tobias is a professor in the Key Executive Leadership Program at American University. As always, good to have you on. Thank you very much, Tom. We'll post this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hear the Federal Drive on demand. Subscribe at Podcast One or wherever you get your shows. Welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. I'm thrilled today to be joined by Rick Wade, Senior Vice President of Strategic Alliances and Outreach, at the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. Previously, Rick was a senior advisor and deputy chief of staff to Secretary of Commerce Gary Locke. He worked closely with the Obama administration, and he also worked with Commerce's Economic Development Administration to foster regional economic development in distressed areas and with the Minority Business Development Agency to create jobs through the growth of minority-owned businesses. He received a B.S. from the University of South Carolina and an M.P.A. from Harvard University. Rick, welcome, and thanks so much for joining me. And thank you so much for having me. Look forward to the conversation. 
Rick, in today's environment, leaders have had to adapt and find new ways to lead with transparency and empathy. But can you tell us a bit about how you've adapted your leadership style? You know, this past year has clearly uh, presented some unique challenges that uh, certainly me uh, or I as a leader uh, have had to adapt. Uh, you think about a pandemic, for example, that has uh, placed us in probably one of the most challenging circumstances is sort of lead in a virtual world now. I've not been in my office uh, for nearly a year. And, and the idea that we don't have the human interaction uh, which I think is very important when you think about the I- empathy that is a, a very important value of leadership. So trying to lead from a virtual uh, environment chain and be empathetic and be sensitive to the needs of others has presented a terribly difficult challenge. One of the other defining uh, moments, I think, in our time uh, that has dictated uh, a change in leadership, if you will, uh, was the murder of George Floyd. I think it created a whole different consciousness uh, in America, and certainly within me, uh, about the importance of being empathetic uh, in, uh, in in the way I lead, to be inclusive, uh, to be uh, uh, to, to lead in a way uh, in which you're very sensitive to the impact of your decisions uh, on those on others uh, across our community. So it certainly has been a challenging year uh, to adapt, uh, but I'm happy to say that uh, I'm still here and we're moving forward. Perfect. Throughout your career, what have been some pivotal moments or lessons learned that have shaped the leader that you are today? You know, there have been so many moments, Shane. I, you know, I grew up in rural South Carolina, uh, quite honestly, at a time when I, I mean, I saw what legal segregation was. I mean, I, I wasn't able to go to an integrated school until middle school, being bused across town. And I remember, as strangely as it may sound, uh, in 1979, I wanted to run for vice president of my student body at Lancaster High School, a liberal school. And I had to run on the ballot as vice president black, literally. And there was another candidate who ran as vice president white. And the irony of that story uh, is that the following year, I ran for president and I won overwhelmingly. That was a lesson for me in leadership. And, and the lesson there was, you know, perseverance, uh, have the tenacity, uh, have a vision and overcoming barriers. And, and I didn't let the idea uh, that the construct that I had to run as vice president uh, 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 deter me from reaching my bigger dream, which was to represent students. So I know that's a, that, that perhaps may be a small example of leadership, but it really did define how I view myself, uh, the vision that I have uh, my willingness to to fight for change, and that was that was the beginning. I think that set the foundation of how I lead. And there've been so many other moments. Uh, one of the most defining moments for me personally was uh, the, the 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 massacre at Mother Emanuel Church in Charleston, South Carolina. A very close friend of mine, Senator Reverend Clemente Pinckney, who lost his life, and and it conjured up again these issues of how deep the divide in terms of race in America is. And, but it also inspired me to lead even more and to lead harder and to lead with diligence and vigilance uh, to help close that divide. So there have been so many defining moments uh, uh, in my career. I, I will tell you, even uh, after the murder of George Floyd and my role at the U.S. Cha- Chamber of Commerce uh, to galvanize the business community 
inspired by that tragedy. And now we have a whole broad historic sweeping, what we call equality of opportunity initiative that I'm leading, that I, that, that, that I was inspired to develop. And we're bringing together corporations from across America to address what we call equality of opportunity. So my point there, I think with all of these moments, they've all been pivotal moments at different parts of my life, my career, my journey. And I've seized those moments to make the best uh, of, of them, of, of what I could. That's fantastic. It's a great, great answer. Many stories. Thank you very much for sharing that. Um, who is the most impactful leader in your life? And what quality did you admire about them? You know, I, again, I, I can't say that I had, I had just one, but I would tell you the one person who, uh, who had, whose historical leadership has inspired me the most. And that is the leadership of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And there's so many attributes there that are consistent with my values. But the one, the one part of his leadership was vision. And I, I mean, the idea that you can have a dream which we often define and think of his big I have a dream speech. But I think that's a really important attribute of leadership, Shane, that you can sort of see beyond the challenges of today and see a better future for people and for yourself. So the, the idea that leaders have vision uh, despite the challenges is seeing a forest despite the trees. It's seeing an opportunity despite the barriers. And that, that attribute, I think, is one that, that I embody. I mean, I, I, I'm very optimistic, uh, despite the challenges, despite the circumstances. So the whole notion of vision uh, was a very important attribute that I, I learned and that I've tried to emulate from the leadership of Dr. King. Wow, fantastic. And as someone who's got an extensive background of federal service uh, and out of federal service, what advice would you give to feds looking to develop leadership skills. And, and you can talk about mid-career, senior career, early career. Um, what comes to mind there? Yeah, listen, I mean, you're aware that I had the, the, the fortunate opportunity. We didn't have a secretary of commerce when uh, President Obama, uh, of course, I served as one of his senior advisors, was inaugurated. And the president asked me to go to the Department of Commerce to hold the fort down. And that was one of the most exciting experiences in my entire career, not just for the title and, and, the, and the wonderful experiences, but I understood the value of federal employees. And, and folks forget sometimes, Shane, that we political appointees, we come and go. But the folks who, who are grinding every day, who are at their desk, no matter rain, sleet or snow, uh, who bring innovations, but yet don't, don't get the credit for it because the political appointees get all the credit. I think I learned something about the humility of, of being a leader. Uh, and and, and, and I, I, I built so many friends who were federal employees, not just at the manager level, but the frontline workers, the administrative assistants. And I was very deliberate. I mean, one of the things that I was most proud of, strangely enough, I was that guy, even though I was senior advisor to the Secretary of Commerce. And I, I, my office was on the floor, the top floor. We call it the blue carpet, Jane. But I made a deliberate point to go eat in the cafeteria every day, as many days as I could, just to sit down and talk with employees. And I grew from that. And, and, and there were so many times where I took their ideas back to the blue carpet and said, and I told the Secretary Locke, you got to go down and sit down and talk with regular, common, everyday folks. They're in the cafeteria, not in the dining room on the blue carpet. And so he started doing that. So the, the point is, I think for me, 
the advice that I would give is to continue to do the hard work. I do think that we should do a better job in government in providing the kind of admiration for those workers as we do the high level appointees. And, and that may be something that, uh, that I'm looking to work on myself uh, to help continue to advocate for our federal employees. Uh, they, they, those are the hard workers. That's where the work gets done. And, uh, and, 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 and so I think that's a lesson for me. If there was some advice and counsel I could give is to continue to do your work, but, but we have to do our work as leaders of these agencies to create ladders uh, of success and, and, and reward and admiration for the hard work that they do. Rick, thank you very much. You've inspired me. These are tremendous insights and stories. Uh, I love every single one of them. You've got a fascinating journey in leadership yourself. And thank you very much for sharing that with us today. Well, thank you for the opportunity. Thank you. I'm Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Thank you for listening to today's Lessons in Leadership podcast. And until we see you next time, take good care. Helping your employees learn new cloud skills helps your business become more agile, more resilient, and more secure. Not helping employees learn new cloud skills causes your business to become less agile, less resilient, less secure, less innovative, less profitable, and, well, ultimately less of a business. Don't become less of a business. Try Pluralsight and get your employees everything they need to learn new cloud skills. Learn more at Pluralsight.com vision. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus, and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit LiveXLive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.